we use nature and plants, especially for, for many things. Food is an obvious one. Uh, beauty is another. But something we almost all use plants for that I've always been kind of curious about uh, is to change consciousness. Most of us today probably use the plant to change the contents of your mind, or at least the feeling uh, tone in your mind. Uh, you know, whether it was coffee or tea or, uh, or a cigarette or uh, cannabis or whatever it is. I mean, this is something we do, and every culture on earth does it. That's Michael Pollan, and this is The Depression Detox Show. Hello, and welcome back to the Depression Detox Show, where we share ideas and stories to help you live a happier life. I am your host, Malik Josephs. Happy Tuesday. Thank you so much for tuning in with me today as we have a new featured speaker and one of my all-time favorite immersive journalist Michael Pollan on the show. And in this talk, he discusses the landscape of plant medicines. And as a disclaimer, I am not a doctor and I don't recommend that anyone take any plant medicines, but it is also my goal to, to share as much information to help us all live a happier and more meaningful and more purposeful life. And I think sharing clips like this can help open up the aperture to the new and emerging fields that can one day help better facilitate that. So with that said, I hope that you enjoy today's clip with five-time New York Times bestselling author, teacher, and activist, Michael Pollan. Enjoy. So I'm going to just talk for about 10 minutes and, and just tell you a little bit about what this book's about. And then I'd love to take your questions um, I, and, and let your interest uh, dictate the path that we take this afternoon. Uh, first, thanks. Thank you very much for coming. Um, this book uh, is a real departure for me. Um, those of you who know me as someone who writes about food might think it's a little weird that I'm turning to psychedelics. But in my head, there's a, there is some continuity as well as change. And the continuity is that I see my writing about food as part of a larger interest in writing about nature. And, you know, the way we eat affects nature dramatically, more than anything else we do, actually, in terms of changing the landscape of, of, of the planet and uh, the atmosphere. And I mean, it's, it's one of the, it's your most powerful engagement with the natural world. And I've always been interested in that engagement. And um, we use nature and plants, especially for, for many things. Food is an obvious one. Uh, beauty is another, but something we almost all use plants for that I've always been kind of curious about uh, is to change consciousness. Most of us today probably use the plant to change the contents of your mind, or at least the feeling uh, tone in your mind. Uh, you know, whether it was coffee or tea or uh, or a cigarette or uh, cannabis or whatever it is. I mean, this is something we do, and every culture on earth does it. 
Uh, with, the, with the one uh, exception that proves the rule, the Inuit do not have any plant drugs, but it's only because none of them grow where they live. As soon as they go somewhere else, they get with the program. Um, uh, so it's been a longstanding interest. And, and to me, it's all part of that story about this, this fascinating engagement we have with other species uh, that defines us and reveals a lot about us. Um, so I so that and I wrote a little bit about cannabis and botany of desire and uh, and I wrote a, a long piece about growing opium in my garden uh, back in the 90s and I've written about medical marijuana so I had this interest and then along comes this new research which I began reading about um, in 2010 I read about a really interesting odd study where um, researchers at NYU and Johns Hopkins were giving psilocybin, this is the ingredient in magic mushrooms, they were synthesizing it, um, to people who had cancer diagnoses, people very sick, many of them terminal, in the hopes that they would have a, what they called a mystical experience, a powerful spiritual experience that would change their attitude toward their death and help them essentially to die with more peace. Um, they were, these were all patients who were struggling with depression, anxiety, and fear, profound fear. And the stories, I, so I started writing about that because it seemed like the last thing I would want to do is trip when I was facing a terminal diagnosis to lose control like that. And uh, you, would, you would presumably have a very dark experience. Um, so I started interviewing these people for a piece I did in The New Yorker in 2015. And um, just to give you one example, to give you the flavor of it, I remember talking to this woman. She was a um, uh, figure skating instructor in, in New York, in Manhattan. She was about 60. She was not a psychonaut. She'd never used psychedelics before. And she had ovarian cancer. And her cancer had been treated successfully, but she was paralyzed by the fear of recurrence. She just couldn't function because she thought any day now this could be back. Um, so she entered into this uh, trial at NYU and had a, um, a, a high-dose psilocybin experience. And I should explain how this is done because the image you may have in your head of taking psychedelics, uh, you know, taking a handful of mushrooms and going to a concert or something, this is not how it is used in a clinical setting. It's a very controlled experience. It's guided. Um, so you, you work with uh, two guides, a man and a woman. They prepare you over a course of several sessions as to what to expect. Um, so they'll talk to you what to do if, 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 if the experience becomes frightening, which it often does, uh, and how to navigate that. They call it the flight instructions. And, and their main advice is, you know, if you see a staircase, go up it. If you see a door, open it. If you, um, if you see a monster, don't run away. Just step right up to it and say, what are you doing in my head? What do you have to teach me? Um, in other words, surrender to the experience. Um, uh, trust, uh, relax, you know, they quote John Lennon, uh, relax the mind and float downstream. Um, and that's very important advice. And it's often the difference between a good trip and a bad trip. Uh, a bad trip is essentially a panic reaction against what's happening in your head, which is very heavy. I mean, you're, you're experiencing your ego dissolving, in fact, in front of you. Um, and then they sit with you for the whole experience and they give you a helping hand if you're getting upset uh, or struggling and they take you to the bathroom and give you a glass of water. Uh, and then afterwards is a really key moment called the integration session where they, um, 
sit with you, you tell the story of your trip. And it, it usually is this narrative. It's almost like this intra-psychic movie where you go different places and you try to make sense of it and apply the lessons to your life. So in the case of this woman, her name is uh, Dina Baser. She, um, uh, she had this trip and there were many elements I won't go into. It was, it was like six hours. Um, and she went into her body imaginatively and she saw this black mass under her rib cage. And that was her fear. It wasn't her cancer because that wasn't in the right place. But she saw what she realized was her fear. And she screamed at her fear. And you have to see this woman. She's a very timid, small woman. And she said, get the f out of my body. And it did. It disappeared. The black mass was gone. And afterwards, she said, I realized during that experience that I can't control my cancer, but I can control my fear. And that distinction meant everything to her. And one of the hallmarks of the psychedelic experience is that whatever insights you have during it have a force, the likes of which you've never experienced. These are not just opinions or insights, they're revealed truths. This is something William James a long time ago writing about the uh, mystical experience called the noetic sense. It's a very uncanny thing and it's what allows people to change that if they, if they think, say they're trying to quit smoking and they have some you know, epiphany that, gee, my breath is really precious. I should not ruin it by smoking. Suddenly that'll be so strongly held as a belief that they can actually stop smoking. So anyway, so that's the kind of experience that I was learning about. And I became fascinated to understand the neuroscience behind it, what's going on in the brain when people are taking one of these uh, trips. Uh, and we now know some interesting things about that. If you're interested, I can talk about that. And also the history of it. Like, what happened to psychedelics in the 60s that they became so stigmatized that um, research stopped? There had been a very productive period of research all through the 50s that was yielding really promising results in the treatment of alcoholism, in, the, in dealing with people who were dying, depression, anxiety, obsession. And then after this moral panic that hits the culture around 1965, um, nobody studies it anymore. Uh, the funding dries up, scientists are a little embarrassed by it, and, uh, and we had an unprecedented situation where a promising line of scientific investigation uh, was stopped. Um, that never happens, and we lost 30, 35 years of research into psychedelics. Thankfully, it's resuming, and my book is very much about the Renaissance, even though I go back and look at the history and uh, figure out why we had this panic reaction about them. Uh, and try to look at them in a very matter-of-fact way as interesting tools, interesting tools for understanding the mind and for healing the mind. Now, we haven't proven all this. Um, there's still more research to be done. Um, we're kind of in phase two, and there's phase, there are three phases to FDA drug approval. Um, but so far, the results have been remarkably encouraging. Um, it is one of the most powerful psychiatric uh, interventions that the researchers have ever seen. And we're in a situation where um, mental health care is so broken in this country. It's failing to reach half the people who need it. Um, the last major innovation were, th were the SSRI antidepressants in the late 80s. There really hasn't been anything since then. Um, and uh, so we need some new ways of thinking. And, and along comes this powerful old but new innovation. And, um, and the research is... Um, you know, it's being privately funded for the most part. Big Pharma is not interested in this. There's no intellectual property that you can control. 
Um, but a lot of donors, many in the tech community actually, have stepped up and are funding this research. Uh, and I was just at a fundraiser where, you know, the last $7 million was raised. And, uh, and so we will find out. We'll get the real test, uh, the scientific test of what are, what are these drugs good for. And then there's the question of what, are they, what value might they have for the rest of us? Because they help people who have serious problems. But as one researcher put it to me, they're very important for the betterment of well people. And, uh, and I can talk a little bit about that, too. So as part of this, because it's sort of my brand to do immersion journalism, you know, when I wrote about the cattle industry, I bought a steer. When I wanted to learn about architecture, I built a house. So, of course, I had to experiment. And, um, and I, I found some guides underground. And there is a, a thriving community of underground guides in America who could give me a, an experience very much like the ones at NYU and Hopkins. And, and they were you know, transformative experiences, some of them. Um, some of the most meaningful experiences of my life. Life, And the idea that a molecule could occasion that is, um, to me, still kind of mind-blowing. Big thanks to Michael Pollan for stopping by. If you'd like to connect with him, you can go to his website, michaelpollan.com. His Instagram is michael.pollan. His most recent book is This Is Your Mind on Plants. And also a book you may be interested in is entitled how to Change Your Mind, What the New Science of Psychedelics Teaches Us About Consciousness, Dying, Addiction, Depression, and Transcendence. And I got this clip from YouTube. It is entitled, How to Change Your Mind, Michael Pollan Talks at Google. All right. I hope you enjoyed today's talk. And if you did, please leave a rating and review on Apple Podcasts or Spotify Podcasts. I greatly, greatly appreciate you for it. And that is a wrap for me. I hope you have a mindful rest of your day and I will see you back here tomorrow. So until then, stay strong. Later. Later.